It's been decades, maybe not since Pearl Harbor, that Americans have seen so many changes in society so quickly as in the past few weeks. Coronavirus has drastically altered how we go to school and how we eat our meals, how we play and how we work. Millions of Americans who've never even thought about working from home before are suddenly finding themselves at the kitchen table trying to do their jobs. And Teresa Douglas knows it can be a tough transition. Douglas is an operations and people manager who's worked exclusively from home for a decade. And she's co-author of the book, Working Remotely, Secrets to Success for Employees on Distributed Teams. She says if you're suddenly working from home, you'll have to learn to be flexible and organized. It's very easy to assume that you can just sit down and get your work done at your computer, but it really is a lot different if you can't see your coworkers. You're going to have to communicate a lot more than you may be used to because you can't just look over and see if the person at the desk next to you is busy or if they're working on that thing they said they would give to you. So especially at the beginning, you're going to have to spend a lot of time just checking in with people because some of them are going to be working different hours because they have other family obligations that they need to take care of and finding out if they're taking a break in the middle of the day or if they're working late at night or early in the morning is going to be crucial to getting your own work done. A lot of people are just being thrown onto the kitchen table. They really don't have a place to work. This is going to be more than just a day or two now, we know. Are most companies giving workers everything they need, do you think? Uh, how, how do they set up a space that's going to be productive at home? Well, that's a good question because businesses also are being sort of cast into this without a whole lot of planning. So if you're going to be sitting at home, you're going to be at your kitchen table, then it's important to think about ways to make that space feel like a dedicated workspace during the time that you're there. So obviously you need your kitchen table for other things. But if it's part of your routine to pull out your laptop and your work notes and to put them down on your on your table, and then at the end of the day, pick all of that up and put it away again. That's going to help you focus on your work during work time, and also give you the ability to say, I am off of work now, because we're losing that cue of leaving the office and now entering your rest period. So we, we really have to think of ways to help people unplug. That's That's a really big issue. Should people pretend that, yes, they are going to the office? You've mentioned that a little bit already. Or is it okay for them sometimes to wake up 10 minutes before they're on the clock and turn on their computer in their pajamas? Well, it's really important to have a routine. Now, the, how strictly you stick with that can change from day to day. Maybe you worked late, and so you start a little later at the beginning of the, the next day. But having a plan for, I'm starting work at 9 o'clock, I'm going to take a lunch at 12, I'm going to be done by 5.30, it's really good to have that set up. And getting dressed in the morning so that you feel like, I am going to work. That's going to help you with colleagues because you, you will need things from them, and it's going to help you focus on, on your work. For a lot of people, going to the office is about the only socializing they get. How, how do you keep from getting lonely when it's day after day after day all by yourself? 
the, the most important thing to think about is that social distancing does not have to mean social isolation. So one of the things that I do to stay social at work is set up some times where I can talk to people on video meetings who are my colleagues. And we'll take 10 minutes, 30 minutes, and catch up on what everybody's doing, how things are going just on a personal level. And not only that, but in your own personal life, this is a great time to meet with people on the phone or meet in another video meeting because you don't have to just do that for work. Seeing somebody's face and talking to them over video, it's, it's not going to the restaurant with your best friend, but at least you're getting that human contact. And it is so, so important to set that up now while you're feeling at the beginning of this, while you're feeling okay so that you can keep your mental health doing well into the future. We're talking with Teresa Douglas. She's the co-author of Working Remotely. Let's look at the flip side of this a, a, a little bit, the flip side of loneliness, I guess. Maybe you're trying to work at home, but your wife is home too. Maybe the kid's school is closed and they're home. You have all kinds of noise, the TV's on. How do you ever get anything done? <laughs> well, I will tell you that that is a very good question for me personally, because I have a 9-year-old and a 10-year-old who are home right now. And my husband also works from home. And there are a lot of things that we do to sort of work with covering the children and doing our own work and making sure we can focus. And I will say quite honestly, I have a pair of noise headphones when it's my time to work and my husband's time to watch the children. And I wear those while I'm trying to focus on things. And it's, it's really helped. And I work early hours. So I live on the West Coast. But I work East Coast hours because I like having a few hours at the beginning of the day when the children are asleep so that I can work through things that require me to focus on them. And being flexible again. At some point, somebody's going to need to eat lunch or help with their homework. And knowing that it's okay to take those times and talking to your colleagues and boss and saying, I have people at home and I'm going to do the best that I can but understand that they may make an appearance on some of these video calls has been really helpful too. One thing I'm hearing a lot about is uh, when tech doesn't work, you can't connect to the office, the video conference doesn't work, the broadband goes down. Is that a common complaint you're hearing about all of a sudden now when you've got so many people all of a sudden starting to work from home? A lot of them are newbies. And <laughs> what do you do when it yeah. happens? Well, two things. One, forgive yourself if you get into a video call and it's not working. And two, try to play with the buttons ahead of time. So if you have a video meeting, see if you can get in there a little earlier and check to see that you know which buttons to push to make things work. If you have to commit, connect remotely with a server, try to practice that ahead of time. And if you have somebody at work that you can talk to about your issues that way, that's helpful. And I also have a very strong internet connection. So if, if folks' circumstances allow for it, they might want to consider um, raising the strength of, of their internet by talking to their internet provider. Uh, there are a lot of defenders of, of working remotely saying that it's uh, the wave of the future. You're one of them, uh, being a remote worker yourself. What do you really like about it? And what do you hear from other people who have been working remotely for a long time? What do they like about it? 
I love the amount of flexibility I have for, for work-life balance. I, I love to run and I run in the middle of my day during my lunch period. Obviously right now there's, we have to do social distancing, but I would not be able to run in the middle of the day if I worked from an office because there's all the cleanup afterward that, that needs to happen. And I have other colleagues who have become local vores, so they like to go to different farms in the area and they use some of their free time to do that. And other people volunteer. Again, that's changing in, in this time period that we're in right at the moment, but they'll volunteer as docents at museums. They go to their children's schools and participate in field trips. And a lot of that is just really enjoyable. And I, I wouldn't do that to the same extent if I were working in an office. One thing you've mentioned a little bit about, and I want to come back to this just a little bit here, the separation of work life and home life and and how you draw the line and make a, a, a good firm line, if that's, I would assume, a really important thing. It is. It's really important. And if you're working from home, you have to be good at drawing those lines. So at the end of the day, I turn off my computer, I close the lid. And during the years where I didn't have a dedicated office space, I would put my laptop away where I did not have to see it. So I could have pulled it out and started working again, but making it just a little harder to do that is really important. And for the same reason, I don't put any of the my work apps on my phone because I want it to be just a little bit harder to work all the time. Let me ask you if there's perhaps an economic and maybe tech divide here. If, if you have a good enough setup, no problem. Uh, maybe you can order your meals to be delivered. You don't have to share your computer with your third grader uh, who is off of school and doing e-learning. If you don't have that, though, you're going to have a hard time, aren't you? You are, and it does highlight the divide. I mean, none of us can pretend that that, that isn't the case. I am immensely privileged that I'm allowed to work from home, that I have those circumstances. Not everybody can, and in the end, that's why I believe we're not going to all 100% work from home at the end of this period of time. So if you have a hint or two, perhaps, uh, kind of overall, about how to stay sane while being thrown into working remotely, if you've never really done it before, uh, what perhaps would the, the top one or two be? There'd be two. It, the, biggest, the biggest concern that I have for people who are, who are temporarily remote is setting up your, your psychological headspace because you know that you need a computer and you're going to need the internet in order to do your job. But having those discussions with family members that between these hours, you can't hear mommy, 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 or somebody can't ask you where you keep the salt and letting them know that this is when I need to work. This is when I can answer questions. That's going to help with a lot of the interruptions, which, which will sap some of that energy. And the other thing I would say is to over-communicate with the people at work too, because if you do that, then all the rest of it, you're going to work out together. It's a stressful time, and they're probably going to look back at this point and say, boy, that was really stressful. I didn't like working from home with my children. But once they get back to the office, they may say, if I'm sick, 
but I feel well enough to work or if I have to go take somebody to an appointment, dear boss, can I work from home in the morning so that I can make up that time period? And we will have those systems set up for that. So I, I feel like by the at the end of the day, when we all get through this, it will make work-life balance just a little bit easier. You can find out more about Teresa Douglas and her book, Working Remotely, on our website, radiohealthjournal.org. You'll also find archives of our segments there, as well as information about all of our guests. I'm Reed Pence. Most primary care doctors expect to see more people with dementia over the next five years. But a new survey shows half of them don't think the medical profession is ready. Primary care physicians are on the front lines of dementia care, but nearly a third are never or only sometimes comfortable answering patient questions about it. Nearly two in five say they're never or only sometimes comfortable making a diagnosis. That's deeply concerning to Dr. Joanne Pike, Chief Program Officer of the Alzheimer's Association. We're heading toward a medical emergency when it comes to ensuring dementia care will be available for all who need it. It's critical that stakeholders work together to reverse the shortage of dementia care specialists and enhance dementia care education for primary care providers. The survey is part of the Alzheimer's Association 2020 Alzheimer's Disease Facts and Figures Report, which finds that, barring medical breakthroughs, the number of people with Alzheimer's dementia may nearly triple in the next 30 years. Find out more at ALZ.org. And that's Radio Health Journal for this week. Radio Health Journal is a production of MediaTracks Communications. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more. And check Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify for a library of past programs. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and information about our guests at RadioHealthJournal.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Radio Health Journal.